to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to resilience, business continuity, disaster planning, COVID, uh, well-being, anything that's relatable to those topics. Speaking of topics, if there is something you'd like to talk about on the show or you'd like to be a guest, please feel free. Go to the Voice America page for the show. There is a little graphic at the bottom that says send the host an email. And I will get your message, and I do respond to everything I get. If you want to promote a product or service, you can reach me the same way, and I can get you some information on that. I'd like to thank everybody at Stone Road for sponsoring today's show and their product, BoastAssessment.com, which allows you to do some self-assessments on your BIAs, risks, your tests, uh, various BCM program components, and allows you to refocus your resources where you need to. And you can already see, I'm sure, uh, that today's show we are filming. This is, will be, actually, the very first show to air on the new YouTube channel, Preparing for the Unexpected. And today's guest gets that honor of being the first one to air. And I'm sure many of you know her. Um, On my screen, she's on the left, so hopefully she's on the same side of the screen for you, but... If you look on the left, I'd like to welcome back to the show, Regina Phelps. Regina, it's good to see you this time. <laughs> Alex, what a treat, first of all, to be your first visual guest. And as always, it's great to have our monthly check-in, because seem, it seems like we do this once a month, talking about COVID, don't we? Yeah, and uh, if I recall, I think uh, one of our initial emails was, you know, for the next few months. And... Um, well, it looks like it's still going to be a few more. <laughs> We're gonna yeah, be doing yeah this it's gone by, hasn't it? <clears throat> oh, yeah, unbelievably. So how have you been doing? Well, well, you know, in this day and age, being able to say that you're well is good and mm-hmm. uh, busy, insanely busy, but, you know. And you, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Actually, uh, just as we spoke before the show, uh, I better tell everyone, I don't have COVID. I don't have a cold. I was walking my dog, and he was playing with other dogs. And uh, I'm allergic to dog dander, and I'm a dog lover, and I just can't push other dogs away. So I'm a little stuffed, uh, uh, you know, and coughing a little bit. So I'm completely fine. It was just the dogs. You know. <laughs> That's comforting, yeah. Alex. Yeah. Since we're talking about COVID, I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> yes. Well, let, let's jump straight into it because, you know, we always talk about, uh, you know, COVID right now. Um, it seems, how do I put this delicately? Uh, things have changed drastically since the last time we talked oh my gosh i i yes i mean we have forecast this for um forever it seems that this is exactly what would happen as the days get shorter and colder and people go inside and certainly what we're seeing in the u.s but frankly in many places around the world is a huge increase in cases primarily driven by the fact that people are gathering in households It's not so much the big location gatherings where we're seeing these super spreader events, but there actually are more in these household kind of environments. I'd like to share three screens with you if I could, because it kind of gives you a good idea of kind of what we're talking about here. So first of all, let me begin um, with something that everybody is very familiar with, which of course is the um, uh, dashboard of Johns Hopkins. So as we see from this particular frame. You can see that, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Good. Okay. So we are blasting along. Let me just say to you that just to give you a perspective, Alex, it took a hundred days, 100 days to have a million cases worldwide. 100 days. We actually are now adding about a million cases every 30 to 32 hours worldwide. Wow. So that's just mind-boggling to me. Here in the U.S., we're adding uh, a million cases about every 10 days. So, uh, you know, 
when you look at these numbers, what's shocking to me is that we are, in the United States, we're at 11 plus million cases. Not even close, not even close is India at 8.8. And here we are with this really developed medical system, highly advanced public health, et cetera. We are by far the worst. And a country with 1.3 billion million people, billion people, and so much poverty is way behind us, is, mm-hmm. says a lot, right? <laughs> And the death toll in the U.S. continues to rise. We're going at about 1,000 deaths a day. Deaths are lagging indicators. Now, one of my other favorite uh, websites to go to, besides John Hopkins, is I like to go to the key metrics, which is the COVID tracking. And if your uh, listeners don't know this, I would encourage you to Google the COVID tracking project. Now, I apologize that the only stats they have are for the U.S. They don't do this for uh, other countries around the world. But you can go, and they have these four daily metrics. They have lots of data. And why this site is particularly good is they are pulling from 50 different data points and then moving, mooshing that data together and cleaning it and then being able to actually give this really highly specific report daily. So we're just cranking out tests. We're cranking out cases, unfortunately. Our hospitalizations are going way up. Our ICU admissions are going way up. And the deaths are also going up. Yesterday, this is the reporting for Sunday. And of course, on Sunday, the death toll uh, rise would be relatively slower because of, of reporting from agencies that are closed. My last favorite, let me pull this down so I can go to the next slide or the next, this one. This one is really a good site. And one of the things I would say to all of your listeners is that when they're looking and evaluating what sites to pay attention to, you want to, first of all, pay attention to where they are getting their data from and who's actually doing the site. So let me just stop for a moment, go all the way to the end of this site. And this site is uh, covidexitstrategy.org. Yes, exactly right. And if you stop and you go all the way down to the bottom, which you should do at every single site you go to, and ask the question, who is doing this? And where is the data coming from? They can actually tell you in well-done sites, not only who is financing this, what the, who the contributors are, what all the data sources are, and if there's any data missing. So you can see very clearly, you can find out very quickly what's going on. Why this is a particularly good site is it really breaks down every single state in a very painful way. Sorry for making you sick going back up to the top. (laughs) It got so bad in the United States that it used to be they only had three colors, which was red, yellow, and green. It got so bad they had to add add another color, rust, uh, for uncontrolled spread. And now, as you can see, the entire United States is completely lit up is the best way I can describe it with, again huge numbers of cases, especially in the Midwest. So really looking at the whole center part, really backing up, right? Touching our northern neighbors, Canada. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, the rest of the country is also really abysmal. And so the bad news is, Alex, is that we are in lousy, lousy shape. And uh, I know you're going to ask me what's happening up uh, I'm going to ask you. So what's happening North? in Canada, my Canadian friends, who have done, let me just say, so much better than your southern neighbors. Uh, until recently, it seems. Ah, yes. <laughs> what, so what happened at Thanksgiving, Alex? <laughs> well, what seems to have happened is a lot of people didn't pay attention mm-hmm. and uh, had gatherings during our Thanksgiving, which is early October for us, October 10th, I believe it was this year. And all sorts of people got together. And, uh, you know, not a lot of air travel, but did travel, you know, around and visit friends because it was a long weekend. Uh, That weekend is also a weekend. A lot of people that have cottages travel up north to their cottages, to all these other communities Mm -hmm. and close down their cottages. So they're, you know, going grocery shopping and visiting all these little towns. And now we're having a, a spike. You know, I'm in the province of Ontario and we're having a spike. Uh, the premier here, uh, Doug Ford, he recently, or they have recently changed um, the, uh, they put every county in a color code, basically what you just uh, showed, right. green, right. yellow, mm-hmm. red, and, uh, you know, rust. And um, rust is basically a full lockdown. Mm-hmm. And red is, you know, you're <laughs> one step down from it. And uh, we've got about, uh, I think, uh, about a dozen now that are red or uh, orange or mm-hmm. yellow using the, the other chart. My own county, 
is now in uh, orange. Mm -hmm. So uh, things are changing. Um, I know in Quebec, the province of Quebec, they're having an issue and they're starting to instill some more, um, not full lockdowns, but um, some um, restrictions now, you know, on restaurants and bars and, you know, uh, social gatherings and things like that, which is what's happening in uh, the counties here in Ontario. Um, Toronto, once again, is becoming a epicenter. Um, our capital, Ottawa, is um, Windsor, down by, uh, you know, the board, Detroit and the, the border. Mm -hmm. um, that is uh, the province of British Columbia is having some issues as well. Um, and uh, Manitoba, who's right in the middle, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, above uh, the Dakotas and Minnesota, for anyone who doesn't know where that is, um, they're having some issues as well. And unfortunately, our uh, one of the only places on the planet that had zero cases of anything, Nunavut now has, um, I think, five cases of coronavirus. And that's you know, a native and, people's area, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and Nunavut is huge. You know, it's all Arctic up in the Arctic mm -hmm. Circle, you know, but now they have cases. You know, um, they've taken extreme measures, if I recall uh, reading correctly, that uh, anyone that is going there, you, mm -hmm. you basically can't even cross their border. You have to isolate in some of these spots they've got all across the country in hotels that you isolate in. Once you've been there for two or three weeks and you're fine, mm -hmm. then you go from there to a designated plane date and time, and then you go, mm -hmm. you know, so that you can't bring in, but somehow something got there, mm -hmm. you know, which is a shame. And, you know, Canada, we're at uh, just under, we're at, yeah, just under 300,000 cases now. Wow. And uh, deaths, we are, I believe, just over 11,000 now. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. things are starting to happen here, you know, Thanksgiving, you know, a, a word to those in the United States. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if, if it's getting bad now and you don't pay attention during Thanksgiving, I'm afraid what's going to happen down there because mm -hmm. three, three and a half, four weeks later, we have the Christmas and New Year's holidays. Right, right. It's, it's, not, it's not pretty is what I would say, Alex, but we'll talk yeah. a little bit more about that later. But yes, I, yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, and um, yeah. I, I know our, our premier and, and our, uh, you know, prime minister have both said that, you know, uh, things aren't endless, you know, PPE, it's not endless, you know, um, right. being able to help, you know, th there aren't uh, an infinite number of doctors and nurses, you know, so you've got to step up, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, pay attention to what's going on, social distance, you know, mm -hmm. a, a social bubble means just that, you know, 10 right. people, you know, in your group, you know, and I, th I personally think what happened is a, a group of five, not a group of five, a family of five, all had 10 different people in their bubble. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, so, you know, a bubble of 10 is actually a bubble of 50. Right. You know, Which is not a bubble. Yeah. That's not a, not a bubble at all. And right. I think that happened a lot. And then when that happens at Thanksgiving, when a family of 10 or 20 get together, well, you know, they've just been hanging around uh, 200 people. Right. So right. of course, you know, that looks what, look what's happening to us. Right. And I think uh, certainly that's very likely what's going to happen here in the United States. I mean, today already there was uh, big discussions across the U.S. on availability of basically three things. It's called S3. Basically, um, looking at a staff, supplies, and essentially a location. I can't remember what the S was for location, but essentially those three things. So the idea is that if you, if you don't have the staff at a hospital or at a health facility, you're in trouble. If you don't have the stuff, which is the PPE and all the other associated items, and then essentially the beds. I can't remember what the S was for beds, but it was it called S3. And I, I think that that's really the big issue that we're about ready to hit right now in the U.S. There's already big call-outs for uh, – even bringing back retired nurses, retired physicians, people that are mm -hmm. in the high risk group to come back into healthcare facilities in order to be able to support the surges that are happening. Yeah. And in places all over the United States and rural America, many places are now airlifting uh, really sick patients all over, I mean, thousands of miles away. And you know that's also problematic because now you have no family that are near that individual. Uh, and, and as it gets worse, that's not going to be able to happen. They're not going to be able to airlift people because there'll be no place to send them to. They're setting up field hospitals now. Even in places that get very, very cold, like North Dakota, they're setting up field hospitals because they don't have the capacity inside their buildings. 
I, I saw that, uh, and I'm seeing it on uh, a lot of the news channels, not all of them, but most of them, um, where you know governors are speaking up, doctors, all kinds of doctors are getting on the news saying, look, you got to do something. We're right. running out of room. And to your point, you know, we are moving people around, but we're just at the point where we can't even do that anymore. Right. You know, right. and everyone's, everyone wants more of, you know, PPE and all this other stuff. And it's just not there now. Right. You know, it, it, it's looking, you know, like we're heading everywhere. You know, I'm not, I'm not picking on the U S you know, I don't think that would be fair, but you know, everywhere it's, if people don't smarten up, right. This is going to be bad. And it makes me wonder like we're, we're, we're fighting two wars. You know, one is COVID and two is our own um, uh, inability to um, have some short-term pain for long-term gain. You know, well, we've met the enemy and it is us, right? I mean, the famous yeah. logo line, right? Well, that is the yeah. case. And I think, you know, I look at that and I think, you know, I remember hearing and reading about World War II and how people suffered for three or four or five years uh, supporting the war effort. And we can't even seem to manage a few months. Uh, yes. Yeah. My, my nan and granddad used to tell me, you know, um, how many times they were in uh, um, bomb shelters, you know, and, you know, to get food, they had ration cards, even after the war, they had that, you know, my mom remembers that as a little girl, you know, and they went through that, uh, you know, for well, quite a few years. And, you know, you're right, you know, we can't even just stay away from, from we can't even wear a mask and stay yeah. away from our friends. <laughs> yeah, for, for two weeks or three weeks, you know, and uh, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's Dr. Fauci who said, you know, if, if everyone just stopped <laughs> for a month, you know, a month and a half, you know, it, it doesn't mean shut down economy and things like that, but just stopped doing some of these silly things, we could get a handle on it, you know, so much quicker. And yeah, yeah, we just can't. Yeah. Sad times. Yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> I just don't get it. <laughs> Well, on that, we've come to the end of our first segment because I know we're going to jump into uh, some advice about the holidays. I know we touched on that, so I'd like to give that more time. So we've come to the end of our first segment. For those of you watching, um, we'll just be sitting here for about 10, 15 seconds. But for those listening, uh, we'll be right back. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment and community for the aftermath, emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And we're talking once again with Regina Phelps for, you know, our monthly chat about COVID, you know, uh, the, the chat we thought we'd only have to do for a few months, but it uh, seemed to, we're going to be pushing Well, you thought here. that, but not me. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you're the, you're the one with the, the expert. background. I yeah. I'm the one. <laughs> I guess, uh, you know, I was hoping we wouldn't have to continue on about this. Yeah. So we, in the first segment, we started talking uh, a little bit about holidays. And I know I gave an, an update on, uh, you know, what was happening in, uh, here in Canada because of Thanksgiving. I know in the U.S. you've got uh, Thanksgiving coming up actually next week. Right. And then, uh, you know, a month after that, we have uh, Christmas and um, some other holidays happening in that time frame as well, not just Christmas. And then we've got New Year's. Mm-hmm. Any advice on uh, what we should and shouldn't <laughs> do? 
I have lots of advice. I don't know if your <laughs> listeners are going to be happy to hear it, but I'm going to, I'm going to give it to you. That's what my clients always say. Regina, I love and hate talking to you because you don't, you don't, you don't mix words, right? You tell it like yeah. it is. So let me say that there is no way truly to have a safe gathering over the holidays uh, in yeah. uh, certainly in North America and probably all over Europe. There is actually no way to do it safely. Uh, unless it's in your family group, whatever that family group might be. So let's just talk about a couple of things to consider. So if, if you don't have a relationship, so let's say that you're a family of uh, four, is two adults and two kids, and, uh, and you want to say, I want to see at least maybe another family or something like that. What I would say to you is that you have to form a social bubble. Uh, and that's really critical. And what a social bubble means, and we talked about it just a moment briefly, is that a social bubble is a bubble. So it's a group of individuals, small, somewhere between five and six that are in this bubble. And they have to make an agreement that in the bubble, that they uh, don't have risky behavior, they're not going to bars, they're not doing risky things, they always have a mask, they're also physically distanced, they avoid crowds, all of that stuff. Now, if you want to then combine that with one other bubble, which could be up to five or six people, but it has to be a solid bubble, not like a bunch of bubbles all mushed together, you can do that, but there are some rules. You need really to be able to say 14 days where your bubble and this bubble have been absolutely positively great. They have not done anything to violate the bubble. So you could actually say, let's get together we could have a meal inside. We could actually interact with each other. There's still always risk, don't get me wrong. There's still always risk, but you could do that. You could be in a place where people are there. I would still tell you you should wear masks, but you could be in a house. You could have more of a normal kind of situation. If, and the way a bubble works, Alex, is that you have to be honest. So it requires mm -hmm. that the bubble partners communicate and there's 100% honesty. So if I violate the bubble, I don't fudge and not tell everybody. I fess up immediately and then we stop for 14 days because I violated that. That's the only way to safely- Does everyone stop or just that one person No, everybody's removed from the bubble? Because, because if you've got one person inside a bubble and they live together, well, the other people in that bubble have the potential of being exposed to that individual. So right. unless okay. that person- is some lone ranger, you know, it's still, it's, it, you've, the, the bubble has been violated. So let's say, okay, Regina, it's, uh, it's, it's not 14 days before Thanksgiving. I can't do that, but I still want to see people. Let's say, okay, well, uh, if I can't convince you to do a Zoom holiday, then what I would say to you is the only safe way to do this is to do it outside. And for some places in the United States and Canada, that's going to be a very cold experience. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, but it would be outside, and maybe you're in front of a fire pit or something like that. I understand that in the United States, you can't find an outdoor heater to save your life because people have been buying those to put, you know, in their backyards for these kinds of uh, social occasions. But that's really what you have to do. You have to be outside. I would tell everybody bring their own dinner for Thanksgiving, so that way we are minimizing any kind of interactions that go on. You eat outside. And you have it be a relatively short gathering, a couple of hours. The more alcohol that's consumed, the more people's behavior changes. Mm, yeah. You, you start letting down your guard and, you know. Next not, thing you know, you, you're hanging out right next <laughs> to somebody and talking to them instead of being six feet apart. Uh, and, you know, that's all it takes. Yeah. Uh, what I would say to all of your listeners is this, is that I understand that many of the holidays are very important to us, both culturally, spiritually. Uh, and just for our own emotional health and well-being. But what I would like to say to you is that it is a day, like any other day. And, and I would ask them to consider that Thanksgiving could be a Thanksgiving in March or April, or we could do it in June when it's safer to do that. And I think that's the thing I would really ask you to consider. There is so much virus circulating, so much virus. It doesn't mm -hmm. take much for you to be in a situation, even though you might be thinking that you're with safe people, we don't know every possible exposure that somebody might have. And you are taking a great risk. If you have any comorbidities, especially if you're overweight or obese, if you have diabetes, those are the two big ones. 
And then there's a host of others, lung disease, asthma, COPD, heart disease. But I'll tell you, the biggest one is being overweight, not just obese, but overweight, obesity, and diabetes. And that's because one of the things that those diseases do, people believe in science, it, it, there's an, an inflammation response in the body all the time, which makes you more ripe, if you will, for the coronavirus mm -hmm. to infect you. So really look at your own personal health, your comorbidities that you might have, and really ask yourself the question, is it worth it? And if you're around people that are older, um, you know, you just don't want to infect granny. <laughs> I mean, you just yeah. don't want to do that. Well, you know, and I know you're you're talking about Thanksgiving, but I, I think the same thing applies with uh, Christmas or absolutely all the holidays, you know, and, and some of the um, uh, Muslim holidays because almost everybody's got some celebration right. coming up in the next little while. Uh, so I think everyone needs to take note of that, regardless absolutely. of where they are. Absolutely, yeah. I think every religious holiday or any reason to get together. So, for example, Diwali was just over the weekend, the big mm -hmm. Indian holiday, and I knew a lot of Indian friends of mine here in the Bay Area. They all went to big parties, and I thought, "Ay, you know." Well, what? did you see the, see the TV uh, coverage? Thousands. No, oh, in India, celebrating in India, you know, in Bangalore, and you know, all the different cities. And I'm just going, "Oh my God!" Having just gone through Thanksgiving here, and what I said earlier today. You know, I can just see an explosion all of a sudden happening in India. I hope not. I really yeah. hope not, but I can see it. You yeah. Know. And, and, and I think what I would say to your listeners is, is that this really ties, this story ties to the issue of vaccines. Um, and so, certainly this week, the last four days or so, there's been some very good news from two big vaccine producers, mm -hmm. Moderna, which came out today, and then uh, Pfizer. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that. Um, because people might say, well, when can we get together safely? And what I will say to you is that the pandemic is really over when we reach herd immunity, which people believe will be somewhere between 60 and 70% of the population having antibodies in their blood, which means that we would be able to fight off an infection. How do you get there? You get there by vaccination. You don't get there by disease. There's mm -hmm. been no, there's been no uh, disease that has been eliminated from the planet, if you will, from illness, it's all been vaccinations. So smallpox and polio, two great examples. The only reason it's not circulating in our areas is because people have been vaccinated for those things. And smallpox is the only disease that's ever been eradicated from the world. So we have to have a vaccine. So two um, um, manufacturers came out with really good results. And I wanna talk briefly about that because many of your listeners are probably thinking, oh my gosh, there's gonna be a needle in my arm tomorrow. Mm, yeah, not so these, fast. these two are so full of gloom. Is there any good news? <laughs> well, yeah. I'm gonna give you some good news, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna give you some good news. It's not quick good news, but it's good news, but right? But it's something good, yeah. Right, so um, the two vaccines that were announced this week were a Pfizer's vaccine and Moderna's vaccine. So those are what are called messenger RNA vaccines, mRNA. And basically they're taking a component of, of, the, of the coronavirus and they're artificially stimulating, not with a live virus, it's all artificial, uh, and it's stimulating your body to have an immune response. Now what's fascinating is there's never been messenger RNA vaccines ever made. So this is the first ones that have been made. Uh, but uh, what's been good about it is the ones that have been released so far, as far as their initial <clears throat> results, is they're showing really high efficacy, much higher, much higher than anybody ever wildly dreamed. So uh, between 90% for uh, Pfizer and 94% for Moderna. Now, what does 90% efficacy mean? So stop and think about this. In both of those trials, they, let's just make up some numbers there. I think they're around 40,000 a piece of, of, of volunteers. Half got the vaccine, half got the uh, placebo. So then what happens is when they go out and they start living their life, they were asked to continue to mask, continue to social distance, et cetera. Then people start getting sick. And the case numbers that they are using is, I believe the Moderna vaccine has to get to 164 sick people. Once they get to 164, then what they do is they have inter incremental levels of when they're looking at the vaccine results. But when they get to that number, they can really look at the data. And what they do is they compare the placebo group with the actual vaccinated group, and they look at how many people got sick. And so what they've demonstrated is that 90% of the people that have been vaccinated have not gotten sick. 
So what does that mean? Well, it means that they haven't gotten ill. They haven't shown symptoms. And the way the vaccine trial works is you have to exhibit one symptom at least, like maybe um, a cough or a fever, loss of taste. And then you have to have a PCR test, which comes back positive. So in the trial, that the, so far it's been 90% effective in people not having any symptoms. Now, does that say that they didn't get the illness? No, it says they didn't get any symptoms. So remember that coronavirus is a um, disease that causes a lot of people to be asymptomatic. Mm -hmm. So there could be a large population that are, are, had gotten the disease but are asymptomatic and never fell into this category of one symptom. So like there are a lot of things right? that need to be teased apart in mm. the data. The data looks really good, and I'm not trying to put, pop, pop a bubble, but people need to understand what it's actually saying. It's not saying, it doesn't also say that it's what's called sterilizing immunity, which means that you'll never, ever get sick. It mm -hmm. doesn't say that. And so it's a really good first step, but we need to know more is what I would say. Now, when are you, you going to get it in your arm? Well, it's not going to be tomorrow, and it's probably not going to be in the spring, and it may be in the summer is the best way to look at it. And that's based on the vaccine availability. Just the supply chain issues and the distribution is going to be super challenging. The uh, Pfizer vaccine requires a minus 70 centigrade storage. The Moderna one they said today could only go to minus 20, which is what most vaccines are. So there's a lot of issues that need to be, really be worked out, if you will. So um, what I would say to you is that the news is good. And you need to be careful about how you listen to the uh, information because it almost makes it sound like you're going to have a vaccine by, by February or March. That's not going to yeah. happen. Is It'll there a risk of people turning around and actually doing that? Oh, there's going to be a cure in a, in a month or two, so I can take off the mask. And, right. You know, that's like, that's a big fear. That. And then secondarily, to be also honest with you, just because you're vaccinated, you still have to keep doing all this stuff until enough mm -hmm. people are vaccinated. So it's not like you get vaccinated and woohoo, life is good and I'm yeah, back to yeah. normal. You're going to have to still keep doing this work. Uh, and for the long and foreseeable future. And that's the important piece. And this is where I think, Alex, is what I say to my clients over and over again. This requires the shift in attitude. Mm -hmm. This is the shift in attitude. This is, this is our life right now. And it's going to be this way for really probably another year or two. And yeah. we just have to find a way in our hearts to suck it up um, in order for people to not die. Well, we have to, you know, we have no choice. I, I was going to say something earlier on and uh, decided not to, but I think I will. My holidays are going to be different this year because for the first time I'm not going to be with uh, my family mm -hmm. because they live, you know, a thousand miles away and, you know, to get there, I have to stop at all these different places, come in contact with all these different people, you know, um, family has cats and I'm terribly allergic to cats. So I can't stay with family. So I don't want to stay at a hotel full of other people, you know, mm -hmm. well, may not be full, but still a bunch of other people, workers and other guests that may or may not be following COVID rules. So I decide, you know what, I don't want to get myself ill or get my mom who, you know, who has her own health issues mm -hmm. sick. My brother who has diabetes, I don't want to get him sick, you know, so I've uh, made the decision, you know, this year that uh, I'll, I'll be spending Christmas day you know, uh, kind of here alone, you know, and then, uh, you know, but talking to everybody like this, you know, Zoom, right, a, Zoom, a Zoom holiday. Yeah, a Zoom holiday. And then, then heading up to the cottage with a couple of people who are a part of my bubble. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, I'll get to have a little bit of celebration then. Yeah. I think that's, you know, Alex, that's a smart move. It's, I, I, I think the way that we need to look at it is it's actually one of the greatest gifts you can give your family is by keeping everybody safe. And yeah. I think that's a really valuable gift. Yeah, I think so. And that on that note, that's a perfect spot to end our second segment. Again, we're talking with uh, Regina Phelps on our monthly chat about COVID-19. And for those of you watching, we're going to be sitting here for about 10, 15 seconds. And those on the radio, you're going to hear some uh, commercials.
out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And we are back for our third and final segment. We are talking once again with Regina Phelps uh, about COVID-19. Um, Regina, we kind of ended the uh, uh, the last segment on a positive note. Yes, I and, thought that was good. Uh, you know, it, it's it's good to see you know Pfizer and a couple of other ones. You're really making progress. You know, and kudos to them for uh, for doing that. Because you know, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't this really fast for yeah. for for this? It doesn't usually um, for anything, you know, any kind of vaccine, it, the, the time frame is usually a lot longer, is it not? Yeah, usually the, the actual production uh, from the time of creation through we actually the first vaccines roll out is usually about four years. That's actually been the fastest vaccine ever was measles, and that was about a four-year time frame, which people thought then that was super fast. Um, and, and, and if we weren't in a situation, frankly, where lives were being lost every day, I think that normal rollout of time would probably happen. But I think really this, the good news about the vaccine story is that this type of speed and this really this new kinds of vaccines being made in a way that can be done much more quickly uh, and not being made out of things like chicken eggs, which is how they still make influenza vaccine. Um, those kinds of improvements are going to help us for other diseases that are going to likely be in our future down the road. So I think all of this is really good. And I think I think all of your listeners can also be really reassured that the both the Federal Drug Administration in the United States, but also the companies themselves are very concerned about the politicization of this whole uh, disease issue and in particular mm-hmm. things like vaccines. And so they are working very hard to have very open transparency. And so what will happen with both of these two vaccines that are now announcing some initial results is that once they've met the milestones that were agreed with the FDA, which is a few more cases, and then they have to study at least two months of data of the actual participants and their experience with the vaccine, because some uh, side effects occur up to about two months after the time you've been injected. So they have to wait two months, look at all that data, uh, and look at all the data of people who've been ill. They have to present that to the FDA, and then there's a group of individuals who are not FDA uh, folks, that actually review all of that data. And then also much of the data will become public so that people can parse it apart as well. And then also here in the United States, there's also several states that have formed coalitions to actually want to review the data themselves Mm -hmm. because they were very concerned about politicalization of it. Uh, And so I think all of those things will tell our listeners that they can feel comfortable that the needle that goes in their arm has really been validated and vetted uh, in every possible way. So I think that's not a reason to not take the vaccine. And I think what needs to happen here in the U.S., and I'm sure in Canada as well, is that once the vaccine starts to roll out, they're really going to have to market it aggressively. Mm -hmm. Uh, And especially in many communities, they may not trust it. So here in the United States, many minority communities in particular have not trusted vaccines because back in the 40s and 50s and farther back, there were experiments done on people uh, in the minority communities by drug companies. And people remember that. And so Uh there's a lot of concern and fear that that it might not be safe because of that. So I think that they have to really do targeted marketing. They really have to get out there and really educate people about the vaccine and what it really is and what it can do. And I think that's one of the things that they're really working on now. 
Um, and politicians get your fingers out of it. Right. It needs to be <laughs> as political as possible because unfortunately here in the United States, the whole political aspect of the coronavirus has really resulted in a huge number of people losing their life. And I think the thing that really um, saddens me in particular, looking at it from a perspective of crisis communications, you know, one of the things that you learn in crisis communications right straight away is that you have to have a clear and consistent message. And it has to be the same out of everybody's mouth. And we have not had that in the United States. And what's sad to me in particular is the CDC, bless their heart, was known for being a pillar in public health. And they actually have some of the best crisis communications training programs in the world. But they, they didn't always follow it, unfortunately. And certainly many people in the administration haven't followed it. And so this mixed messages all over the place make it hard for people to understand what the heck is going on because people gravitate to the messenger and they pick the messenger that they identify with or like, and they follow that message, which often might be very different than another message. And so yeah. we have all of these different stories to, to sort through. Yeah. That's, It'll be interesting to see what happens, you know, and it's you know, the politicalization, you know, I don't want to get political here, but it, I thought it rather interesting the other day that I saw Boris Johnson uh, has to isolate for a second time. Yes. Now, I know the first time um, he, it was looking pretty scary for him. Right. And now he's come in contact again and uh, with, with a COVID positive uh, individual or individuals, I can't remember if it was one or a couple but now he has to isolate again. Mm -hmm. And I believe there's been a lot of uh, concern that if you have had COVID and uh, moved beyond it, luckily, that uh, you are, uh, your immune I mean, system has been uh, right. uh, hindered somehow. And you, if you got it a second time, or it's even worse if you catch something else now. Yeah. You know, is, yeah, it really, it really, I'd be curious to know what his antibody response is. So they can actually measure mm -hmm. his antibodies, but, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be effective in fighting it off. So uh, I did notice though, when he actually was exposed the second time, he actually has had a very different response than he did the first time. And you're right, he was almost put on a ventilator in his hospitalization. So he was, you know, that far away from being intubated. So uh, I think he got religion simply because of his personal experience, which um, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm certainly glad to hear. You know, one of the things I wanted to mention, um, uh, going back to the holidays, which I don't think we talked about, was the issue of flying. Uh, and mm -hmm. I noticed you mentioned that you weren't going to see your family driving or flying, but uh, people always ask me the question, okay, Regina, from a business perspective, for business travel or for personal travel, is it safe to get in a plane? And I'd like to talk just for a moment about that because I think, uh, and, I, and I, I'm a huge flyer. Let me just say to you, I fly 100,000 plus miles a year. Uh, I'm a 3 million mile flyer on United. Uh, I'm all about flying. However, I haven't been on a plane since March 15th, and I'm probably not going to be on a plane, to be honest with you, probably the fall of next year, if that. And so mm -hmm. why is that? And so this is something people have to consider when they're, when they're actually um, getting on a plane. Now, planes have really good ventilation systems. I'm not here to spike them because most planes have very good HEPA filters. They have very good air exchange in the, in the space. So that's a very good piece of news. However, the thing is about is what about your fellow passengers? So if you're on a plane and you're going to go to some holiday gathering, first of all, that's really bad because now you were not only on a plane, but you were in an airport and you were probably in a cab and you were at so much exposure that, oh gosh, why would you do that to your family? But uh, if you are going to go on a plane, what I would say to you is this, is that you must have an N95 mask. And I want to emphasize you have to have an N95 mask and you have to have it on the entire time. Now, if you're going to have a beverage that you're going to drink, I would probably take a straw and put it in a, in a bottle or something. I would not want to take that thing off at all. That's the first thing. So you have to have an N95 mask on. You have to have it on all the time. Um, somebody might say, well, gee, it's okay if I go to the bathroom and take it off. No, that's about the worst place you could take it off, right? So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. so don't do that. Then secondarily, the issue is, is that, well, what about air exchange in the space is not going to protect me. It's going to be a, a great savior for you. But 
you are most affected by two rows in front of you, two rows behind you, and the people on your row. And if any of those people take off their mask, do you think that's likely to happen, Alex? Oh, just a tiny little bit. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, so they they got it. First of all, it's like, you know, from here to, to here, and then it goes down to here. I'm seeing lots then, of people wear it from here down. You know, yeah, it, yeah, right. It looks okay, like a chin is this protecting warmer. you when it's below your nose? The answer, of course, is no. No. So that's the other thing is that you are susceptible if you're around people who are not following the rules. And personally, I love my fellow citizens but I don't trust them to save my life because I do see people who violate that rule all the time. And I live in a city that is densely packed, has one of the lowest infection rates and death rates and case counts in the United States, but I still see people in my perfect town, San Francisco, that still walk around with a mask below their nose. I cannot trust people. I? Online. I can't. I I see lots. It looks more like a chin warmer. Right, you know, right, than, exactly. You know. So I think that that's a really important thing. And that's also for business travel. Uh, many of my clients say, when you get on a plane, I'm going to get on a plane. I say, well, you know, it's going to be a long time. So, uh, and that kind of breaks my heart. But I think for business travel, for conferences, for all of that stuff, I think people need to be thinking in the back of their mind that we're going to be pretty much virtual for probably all of 2021. I think so too. I, I was having this conversation uh, the other day and another point actually uh, came in, came up about uh, traveling with airports, you know, with the heightened security, mm -hmm. you've got, uh, you know, for people to, um, how do I say this, be recognized that their passports match their picture. Oh, right. You know, you've got people taking off their masks all the oh, time. Oh, I hadn't thought of that before. You're right. Yeah. I hadn't thought of it either until I was having this conversation. And they said, well, how do they know that's you, mm -hmm. you know, when you're wearing a mask? Right. You know, so you've got, uh, you know, people consistently taking off their masks, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and chances are they're going to be saying something. And if that's happening in one area, then, you know, the, it's going through the rest of the airport. Right. And you can have all the filters you want on the airplane. You've already brought it all on. on right. You? Right. There's just so many places of exposure from the time that you're either picked up in a cab or how you ever you got to the airport and then you got through, you know, the whole security process, checking in your bag, you know, if you went and bought something. I mean, there's just so many places that you're going to be mm -hmm. exposed to a lot of people and you have no idea what their behavior has been. But it certainly is a little uh, unnerving. And so I think that, that what I've been telling all my clients who have been so excited about the vaccine news is that we should be excited and we should be really happy. But we need to understand that our life, I don't believe, is going to change much until the end of next year. And if it changes by the end of next year, I think that, well, that will be great. But I'm not putting a lot of weight behind that. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be quick either. You know, uh, I, I just know... Unfortunately, I know people aren't going to be paying attention because right. they have heard that, oh, there's a vaccine coming. Now I don't have to worry. Yeah. You know, and yeah. they and will let their guard down. You know, and that's another crisis communications thing uh, since, uh, since we were just talking about that, that has really bothered me. And that is that somehow I don't, I, I think that at least in the United States and maybe I don't know about in Canada, but that people feel like they need to say, oh my gosh, a vaccine's coming and we're going to be, you know, it's around the corner. I heard uh, Francis Collins, who's a physician in charge of the, the, the above the National Institutes of Health here in the United States today say, it's around the corner. You just have to hang on for a little bit longer. And I thought, oh my God, that is the wrong message. Yeah. Because what that says is, is that, okay, it's right, it's right here and you're going to get it. And it, our life is going to go back to the way it used to be immediately. And I thought, that's not true. That is not true. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm just afraid of that, you know, and people will look at that so they won't worry uh, about getting their flu shot this year, right. of which by the way, I get mine on Thursday when I, good, see, good, good, when good. I get my doctor, uh, see my doctor and get my annual physical. So I will be getting mine. And I think, you know, well, they will, they'll let down their guards and their social bubbles will start to disappear because they know, or they may think because of those mixed messages like you just brought out, oh, if I get sick, there's a cure. Right. If I get sick, I've got coronavirus, oh, they'll just give me this vaccine and I'll be fine. So right. why worry? Right. 
Yeah, that's a big concern of mine. And I think, um, I think what, what, that's a huge disservice. And it's also a great lesson in our, you know, with our industry, right? When we say something in crisis communications, crisis management, that we need to be accurate, clear, and set appropriate expectations. And I think they're being accurate and they're being clear, but the expectations that they're setting are false. And I think people are so tired of the pandemic, which I get, but you know, it is what it is, that they're, they're going to be so disappointed that that will even create more frustration and more fan- pandemic fatigue and more pandemic anger that people feel. Yeah. Um, the last thing, I, I know what our time is left, but there's one other thing I wanted to briefly I've, talk I've about. I've got one, one minute for you, then we have to do start our closing. <laughs> oh, well, then I'm not going to start a new topic. We'll have to wait till next time. But um, so what I would say to your, your, all of your listeners is this, is that is that um, you mentioned the flu vaccine. I, I, everybody has got to get that, um, especially because the healthcare systems are already burdened and overloaded. And what that means is that we're not following our COVID protocols because we're getting sick. If we were all following our COVID protocols, we wouldn't have this big surge of virus in hospitals and we wouldn't have influenza. Because if you followed the Southern Hemisphere and their experience with influenza, New Zealand, Alex, had 20 documented cases. A country of 5 million people had 20 cases of influenza. Why? Because people we're doing all of the right things. That's yeah. not going to be our experience here in North America. Yeah. And At least that, in the United States. Yeah. Uh, so everyone get your flu shot. And on yes. that note, we've come to the end of our show again with Regina Phelps. Time seems to fly so fast when I talk with you, yes. Regina. So, but thank you for your time and sharing everything uh, you know about uh, COVID again. I know there's subjects we're going to touch about uh, next month as well. So in the meantime, You stay safe as well, you and your family, and to everyone listening and watching, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.